You're listening to Data Plus Love. I'm your host, Zach Bowders, and I'm here today with Jenny Mench-Barbet, a BI analyst at Appalachian State. And she is also a data farmer and makes some of the most playful, whimsical, um, fun vizzes that I've ever played with. Welcome to the show today, Jenny. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Please ignore the poodle in the background if she barks. I'll ignore the poodle. And in my second episode, I had a cat trapped in the room with me, unbeknownst <laughs> to me, until partway through recording. So we're like a real professional operation over here. So I wouldn't sweat it too much. Yeah, I have a cat sleeping next to me as well. As long as she stays asleep, we're good. Uh, and then there is a room full of parakeets next door, but I have the door shut. So hopefully they will cooperate. So the parakeets are a meat source on the farm? Oh, no. <laughs> No, not at all. No, they're just something pretty to look at. So um, I believe, I think we talked about this once before, but you actually like run an operating farm in addition to your day job. And I think this isn't the first location you've had this farm at, right? Like you've moved it before? Yes, this is the third location in uh, how many years? First move was in 2015. So third location in six years. Wow. So you, I mean, I, I hate moving. Like, I mean, even right now, like I've had to move everything out of my downstairs bathroom because we had a plumbing incident. Um, basically our front yard was filling with water when we came back from a weekend trip and, you know, all indications were broken pipe in the yard. So we have the city come out. It takes them three days. The day they arrive, it had just rained. And they said, I don't know, it could be anything. Um, so my meter's spinning. I'm cutting off water when I'm not using it and stuff, but it's coming from somewhere. And over time, I start to get suspicions. It's coming from inside the house. And I was That's right. a nightmare. It was a nightmare. So we have like one of those uh, sort of jacuzzi tubs in the downstairs master bathroom. And ultimately, it ended up like behind the sort of cultured marble facade you have on the side. Once you pop that off, the supply line to the tub was spraying inside of the wall. And uh, it's the strangest thing. So all this is like a ghost story. So I was hearing in my downstairs bathroom, water going down the shower drain when the shower wasn't on. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm feeling crazier all the time. And my wife has somehow trained herself to block out all these noises. But for me, like every night when I'm going to sleep, I'm hearing this right next door. And all I'm thinking is something's wrong and getting worse. And what, what was happening was that shower drains saved our downstairs, essentially, because uh, we're on a slab. Um, they don't have basements where I live. Um, but what was happening was water uh, was getting into the yard by flowing out the side of my foundation and making its way down the, the street. What it was also doing was flowing the other direction underneath my tile bathroom floor and making its way down the shower drain which was saving all the hardwood and the rest of the downstairs. So that shower hadn't been there to uh, catch that water, like intercepted along the way. All that water would have been going through the rest of the house and like all downstairs would have been torn apart. But uh, yeah, so that's that was a, a fun Friday when they, they tore the side off. So here it is. I'm like, oh, this is so expensive, but thank God we found it. That's true. Th that's just a home ownership nightmare. Um, and we just went through replacing a roof and we had to go through three roofers to get it done correctly. So I'm right there with you. Expensive homeownership nightmares. So I say all this to say moving mm -hmm. sucks. How do you move a farm? Like you've got you, your animals primarily, or are you agricultural as well? Like do you do plants and, and everything? Or is it mostly livestock? Mostly 
mostly chickens. Um, we do have a very small vegetable garden. We just don't get enough sun here. Um, so we relocated from the Piedmont of North Carolina to the mountains of North Carolina for my job, which I love, and it was well worth it. However, um, it, it was a beast of a task. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, we had friends and family who, if, if we didn't have their help, it never would have happened. We, we had like a very small window of time to move out of our house before the new owners took ownership of it. And this house didn't close for a couple of weeks after that, actually. Um, they were nice enough to let us move in a couple days, uh, a little bit early. And um, in, the mid, in the middle there, when we had no house, I stayed, um, we stayed with my grandmother and my aunt and my grandpa. And uh, they let us move all the chickens into their basement and then put them out in their yard during the day. And they live in a neighborhood. So we're talking about a place that chickens are not typically allowed to be. So um, luckily we downsized a lot in, in that transition. So we went from having like two and a half acres and probably close to 200 animals to having an acre here and probably about 60 animals. Wow. Yeah. That's, I'm, I, I'm feeling anxious just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't think I used to have anxiety, but then around the time COVID hit um, at my old job, like stuff went nuts because everyone's sort of trying to anticipate, like, how do we uh, deal? Like, what does this unprecedented event say for fundraising? I'm like, it's unprecedented. So there's no precedent. So I don't know, but, but yeah, it's, um, yeah. Buspiron for anxiety is great. People get on it if you have to, but, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking about that. I'm looking at like, you have your old McDonald had a farm dashboard. Like you've got, you have your dashboards are just pure fun because, you know, every Christmas you have like different Christmas dashboards with like your mad libs, um, and everything like, Clearly, you enjoy doing fun visits. Like when you're looking at making something that's going to go in your public portfolio, you're you're doing it to, out of some interest of your own, and it's not necessarily like. Sometimes people make stuff, and it's like they're like this is going to be a showcase piece. Like I'm making this because I want to do it for someone else. And what you're doing is you're making stuff that other people enjoy, but you're doing it for you, right? Because it's a topic you love. Like where does that Definitely come from? Try. Like, <laughs> where does what, that come from? Yeah. Like, like, was there an inspiration where you're first like, oh man, like you can make like fun, interactive games, like in Tableau, like where, where, where did that start for you? Well, um, the first time I got the idea for, um, an escape room, it actually came from a, a forum online. So I, I use Qualtrics survey software at work and they have a Qualtrics community online, much like the Tableau community. And somebody posted on there, can you create a digital escape room in Qualtrics? And I didn't know if you could or not. And I didn't ever try to figure that out. But what I thought was, can you make a digital escape room in Tableau? Because to me, that was a lot more fun. And so, um, I set about trying to do that, and 
it was very possible. And I don't know much about escape rooms. I've never been to one in person. I've never done one online. So it was just totally out of my imagination. Let's just try this and see if it works. And I like to use those fun opportunities to learn different techniques that I can't or don't need at work. So I don't get to do a whole lot of sheet swapping, parameter changing, you know, my work dashboards are much more cut and dry. They need to be simple. They need to be something that an end user who is, um, you know, data savvy versus one who isn't can both use and use easily. So I don't get to play much at work and I like to play when it comes to my own personal uh, creations in Tableau. Um, so a lot of the time they come about because I, I love Mad Libs and I just wanna see, well, can I do this? And turns out you can. And I love Easter egg hunts. And I wanted to see, well, can I do this? So sure, why not? Yeah, a, a good portion of, you have 34 visits out there, which is a nice healthy size portfolio. A good portion of your portfolio is like holiday events and stuff like Christmas and Easter. And uh, even uh, we did a, we started a data dare thing a few months back, which kind of has dried up a little bit, but me, Judith Becker and Steven Shoemaker all dared each other to make something. And then the deal was when you complete it, you get to dare someone else. So it's sort of like branching out in three directions. And um, you were dared uh, to make something Christmassy because you've done so many nice Christmas visits and you made um, a really fun uh, decorating the Christmas tree viz where you can click different toggles and sort of add different elements or take different elements away from the tree, which I thought was particularly fun and festive for the time. But what was the idea behind that? Like, did you know you were going to go straight to that? Or um, did you have a couple different ideas and sort of came along and I'm going to do a Christmas tree decorating viz? Well, so the dare that you gave me was to create a Christmas viz with no text at all, if you remember. Um, and when you threw that into my court, I was completely clueless, had no ideas. I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, Kathy, I'm supposed to make a viz with no text. I have no idea how to do that. What am I going to do? And she said, a picture is worth a thousand words. Nice. And that got the wheels spinning. And eventually this is what came of it. So um, I don't remember if, uh, if we were decorating the tree at the time, or if I just thought, you know, that's what I picture when I picture Christmas time. And I wanted something that I could build um, completely in Tableau, just from XY coordinates. So the snow, the ornaments, the tinsel, the star, even the tree itself, all of that's just data coordinates on the back end. I mean, I, I'll be honest, it was long enough ago and I've had so much happen since then that I forgot how cruel I was when I did challenge you. I no, mean, I don't regret no. it at all. Like <laughs> I, I, have, I have no remorse, <laughs> but like, I didn't what... think it was cruel. I thought it was inspiring inspiring because I, I even went so far as to not use any text in the in naming the worksheets or the um, in the tool tips, any of it. Um, it's all um, symbols. If I had to use something or numbers. 
I I love that you took it to that level. And I mean, it's you even have music in there. It's so fun. Like that's uh, I mean, if you if someone opens up your portfolio, they're going to just think fun because there's so many games, including one you just dropped yesterday, which we'll get to uh, eventually. But I mean, even right above that, you have like this 30 ways to go green, which is a nice grid of all these little visual elements. And now I was thinking like, Jenny's really good at like making things like visual and fun. It's like, what if I take away like half of her tool set, you know? Uh, and you, you did great. Like, I think you knocked it out of the park. I didn't feel as good about mine, which is where I think you did dared me to make something that looked like a map from the 1800s or make a viz that looked like it's from the 1800s, which I found exceptionally cruel because my thing is um, I'm really into minimalism and uh, I like color. So if it's from the 1800s, at least if it's um, where I went with it is if it's from the 1800s and it's the present day, whatever it is, is like really faded. Um, so I ended up doing a map and I actually, uh, I don't think the new map filters had uh, features had come out yet where you could put multiple marks on a map, multiple layers. So what I did was I made the same map twice, made it the same dimensions, and then made part of it transparent and floated it. So I was able to show both the density uh, in terms of state color, but then also all the individual uh, areas on each state. So it's like that was my innovation for that divis, where sometimes like desperation um, brings you to a point of creativity. Definitely. That was a smart way of working around it, though. I mean, uh, it, it is what it is. Like, it's I, I have a buyer's remorse in real life. So, like, if I'm thinking about getting something, I research it endlessly until I'm just either burn out on it or decide I need it. And then I buy it and I don't feel great about it. Um, and that's kind of where I am with creating uh, public visits, too. Like, I kind of I make something and I love it. And then like a month later, I'm like, uh, like that thing that I like, there's probably in my portfolio, uh, maybe like 10% of them that I'm still like really proud of. And the rest I sort of look at as, well, that's demonstrating growth. <laughs> well, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. If I look back at some of my very early visits and given, um, these were probably back in Tableau version eight. I, I would love to redo so many of them, but who's got time? I have a long list of new visits that I want to build, but I already don't have time to do so. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I go through spells where uh, I just am totally dry in terms of creativity, where um, I'll finish something. And oftentimes I only have one idea at a time. So I'll finish something. I release it. You feel, you feel good. And then you're like, and I'm totally creatively bankrupt. I'm, I'm a fraud. It's over. Like that was the last one I'll ever do. And then, you know, two days later, I've got a new idea or sometimes, you know, the rare occasions for me, it's two weeks, which uh, I try, I'm trying to learn to be more comfortable with that. Like, look, you know, you've got it like a real life. Like you don't have to just produce for the sake of producing, like make stuff when you're inspired and don't feel obligated to make stuff when you're not feeling inspired. Yeah, I I feel like I have not produced very much at all in the past year. And I thought I'd have a lot of extra time. Um, yeah, that wasn't the case. I feel so exhausted after work. And then after work, it's, you know, time for chicken chores and making dinner. And then at 
at the end of the night, all I want to do is unplug my brain, not try to, you know, grind through difficult calculations or um, trying to figure out why this set action isn't working. I just, I'm too tired. I don't have the gusto to do that at the end of the day. I, I always get my inspiration at like the least opportune time. So I'm uh, I'm good friends with my associate pastor, Josh, and uh, he knows that my inception viz came out of the midst of one of his sermons, which was a good, I mean, it was a good sermon. Like I've got nothing against it, man, but like, you know, sometimes you get an idea and I just had to start like drawing it out on the back of like my church bulletin. I'm like, okay, so wait, how did this work? How many dreams were there? And like, so they're not, they're all in the same person's dream. Like when they go to the second level, they're in this guy's dream. And, you know, I'm sort of drawing this out on a napkin and my wife looks over at me, just kind of like, okay. And like, looks back. <laughs> and then my kids are like, what are you drawing? Cause they, they're, they're always like doing little art projects. And like, they want to like sort of take my piece of paper and color on it instead. So I'm like, back away. This is daddy's, you know? Um, so yeah, my, my ideas always come at the strangest time. So I'm in the habit of, uh, Target has these really nice like graph paper composition books. You can get them for like 89 cents, but it's um, it's graph paper. They also have like the standard composition books for writing. But I, I bought a bunch of them at the beginning of the year um, when they're on sale. So I've got like 10 of them. And I just sort of keep one wherever I am. Like if I'm in the office, I've got one in my car. I keep one in my backpack. So if I get an idea, I can just start drawing it out um, so that I don't forget it. Because it's kind of like one of those dream things. Where like you might uh, be having a dream and you've got, oh man, this is such a strange thought. And then the next day you don't remember it at all. And you're like, oh, there was something really fascinating there, but I don't remember what it was anymore. So if I don't capture some idea of it, it's just going to evaporate into the ether. That's why I have to keep a list of all the different ideas I have. And I finally did what you did and just got a, a little journal to sort of doodle in. But that was just a few weeks ago. I haven't had it for very long. I mean, uh, let me know how it goes, because I know for me, it's interesting because sometimes there's this sort of self-archaeology. So um, I, I used to just sort of write down my idea and whatever I had. So like I'll have like a uh, legal pad and like and there I had some notes for something else. And then I'm sort of going back, flipping through stuff from the previous year to sort of like cleanse out the stuff I don't need anymore. I'm like, oh, hey, this is where that idea came from. And sometimes I'll like on Twitter, like post a picture of like, this is what I thought. And then this is what I made. Because I think it's interesting to sort of see what the thought process is sometimes. Because sometimes what you end up making is like directly like, hey, that's what I drew. And that's what I ended up with. And other times, as you actually start making something, particularly if you don't know the full story of the data yet, you're going to have to change some of your ideas about how to display that. Because so, I mean, the, it really is, your design is is a result of what the data is. Very rarely are you able to say, I'm going to make it look like this and it doesn't matter what the data actually looks like. Yeah, I think that's why I like working with data that I curate because I do know what is in it and there aren't any real big surprises. So I, I think I feel limited a lot of the times when I work with somebody else's data because I don't always understand it as much as I would like to. And then I feel like I can't really make these overarching conclusions or these big discoveries because what if I'm misunderstanding it and then representing it incorrectly? I just go down this rabbit hole in my brain and I get very about it. 
I, I, I feel that. So over the summer, like last summer, like there was so much sort of going on in the world and it just, everything felt so chaotic and kind of sad at times that I went back and I was reading uh, Hans Rosling's factfulness at the time. And I was like, wow, I'd really like to take uh, some of these ideas and maybe make a couple of visits out of them. So there was this nice um, CDC data set about vaccinations around the world and like the rates of how they've increased and changed over times and stuff. So um, as I'm preparing to do that, and I did like a couple of visits, I felt so much just angst around using the data set because there was so much literature attached to it and so much, so many descriptors around what each of the fields meant and everything that like to understand, you know, what was going on exactly. I felt a huge uh, obligation and burden to be touching it, which is one of the things I kind of felt like uh, in the early days of COVID, because you started seeing a lot of COVID visits spin out real quickly. And I was like, how confident are we in the data or that we understand the data, right? Like so many times when I'm doing stuff for work, such an essential part of creating something useful out of it is either being um, knowledgeable of the business unit or business that you're working with yourself, or alternatively, working hand in hand with someone who is an expert in that, who can help put you on the right path of how to report on it. And so much of that was like, I don't know if we're reporting on any of this the right way. In fact, I still don't know if like even the bigger news sources and like the best people in the industry are reporting on this correctly. I don't know. And you know, it's um, because so many people don't know a lot about virology and um and the nature of a pandemic and what's spread like so like you'll see something come out in this school district 0.2 percent of children came down with COVID, and it's like is that good or bad you know because uh you know on one hand i'm seeing i see 0.2 percent i'm like that's not that big a deal that's a very low rate and then someone else will tell me well the, there's the potential with every one of those kids to spread it to other kids i'm like that's also true i don't know what the answer is but uh, that's that's how I feel sometimes about those data sets, you know, particularly when it's coming from, you know, a third party. I mean, even sometimes when we're working on stuff like you see the Makeover Monday data sets and stuff and you'll see, um, you know, there have been times when um, people like didn't read the direction or didn't read the originating documents. And uh, what they come up with is just in the opposite direction of what they could have come to the conclusion of. Yeah, occasionally I'll see um, dashboards about education or higher education, which is, you know, my field. And I've been in it for, I guess, close to a decade now. And I still don't know so much about it. And every school is different in how they collect and report their data. So even, even with 10 years of experience, I would really hesitate to try and use someone else's data, even if it was related to higher education, because I would, I know that I, in my own job, using data I'm very familiar with, still make mistakes and still have to go back and make corrections. Um, at least I'm better at identifying those now than I used to be um, and better at fixing them than I used to be. But yeah, I just... I, I worry so much about not communicating the data correctly. And that's another reason I like to do more playful, fun visits that don't have a real high risk factor, I guess, for lack of a better word. 
I'm right there with you. I mean, I would I would rather do John Wick and Green Lantern than COVID. I mean, particularly if, with anything that's sort of important or a hot topic or or that would influence like political policy. Like if we're, if we're doing our jobs, you know, you you um at Appalachian State and me at JLL, and we notice a problem with the dashboard that we've made, we we should ideally be incentivized to raise the alarm quickly and say, hey, look, there's been a mistake. I know what's wrong. I know how to fix it. But, you know, we're going to have to change some of our assumptions. But I don't know if that's as true in, you know, highly visible stuff that makes it on the news. Like, you know, if you report one thing like, hey, you know, the infection rate on this is, you know, 5%. And in reality, you find out the infection rate is either 7% or 2% you know, is there that sort of leeway to come back and say, oh, hey, what we said before isn't correct. Let's remedy this. Or is it one of those situations where it's like, hey, look, you know, we we've already locked in uh, the public trust or whatever. If we change the number, people won't believe us, you know. Uh, So it's it's such a tricky thing. And I really don't know what the answer is to that. And I I suspect there's people smarter than us uh, in our field and other fields that might might know more. But yeah, like that worries me. And that's why I, I prefer not to tackle the heavy stuff um, too much, unless I'm really confident of the source. Absolutely. So speaking of not heavy stuff, you dropped a new viz last night. So we're recording this at uh, on um, March 29th. And this is like an April Fool's Day special because Jenny is so mm-hmm. fun that she deserved her own special podcast. Um and last night you released a new game. Uh, tell us about this game that we can find on your public portfolio. So um, I don't know if you've ever played GeoGuessr. No. Spelled G-E-O-G-U-S-S-R. There is no E at the end. So it's a game um, it's for anyone who loves maps. And I love maps. Uh, you're you're kind of plopped down on a street view, usually in the middle of nowhere with very little around you as a landmark. And so you navigate through the map and look at the um, look at the foliage around you, look for street signs, um, look for any clues to help you figure out where you are. And then you have a zoomable kind of blank map. Um, mine's for the US because I I just wanted to keep it pretty simple, but the, the GeoGuessr goes all over the world. So you use the clues, try to figure out where you are, zoom in on the map, pinpoint your location, and then it scores you based on how close you are to the correct location. And um, so it's five rounds and it's five different locations, five different maps. And when I dropped it last night, it was working great in my desktop. And then when I went on Tableau Public, all of my street views were blank. So I went to Twitter and I was like, data fam, help me. I don't know how to fix this because I didn't know it was going to break. I'd never done anything like that where I embedded um, the street view in a viz. Um, And so Adam Miko was kind enough to send me a DM with a blog that led me to Jeffrey Schaefer. his blog about how he did the crime in Cincinnati and how to embed that street view. And thank goodness it's working now. And um, hopefully people will go and play and share their scores or whatever on Twitter. 
And, um, and I did build it for the Iron Quest game edition that is going on right now. So I need to get in there and register it. So I, I was messing with it a little bit before we got on and you're using make line, right? Uh, on the maps. Mm -hmm. So the maps have a lot of points on them and based on the street view image, which you can play around with a little bit as you're looking at it, uh, you have to select one of these points. Is it just the continental us? I think it is. So you select one of the points and then once you select, it draws the line to the actual location. So you can see how close or far off you were. It's kind of fun. It's like a, a fun and not creepy version of when QAnon figured out where Shia LaBeouf was in the middle of a field. Do you know about this? No. So it was back after like the 2016 election when Shia went through like his whole, like really public weird meltdown phase where he was filming himself 24 seven. And like he started in Brooklyn and then he didn't like that people came and messed with him. So he found a field just somewhere like in middle America and was doing 24 hour streams from the middle of his field. Like just, I mean, it seemed like he wasn't in a good place, but you know, QAnon also be not being in a good place. What really does not like Shia LaBeouf. Which, I mean, at this point, I would argue Shia LaBeouf fans are like, you're running low. Like, you don't have the even Stevens or Transformers love that he once had, you know. He's he's sort of going off the rails a bit. But they found out where he was by looking at the constellations in the sky at night. And then, as they narrowed down to what part of the country he was in, people started canvassing that era, area, driving around, honking their car horns, until it could be heard on the actual feed and they found out where he was. So this is, is a, like a, you know, way less creepy, trolly, uh, weird 4chan version of that, that you can play at home with your kids. Yeah. That is really creepy. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. It's like the internet's a, is a, a super strange place. Like I heard that third, like second or third hand on a podcast. So some of the details may be a little iffy, but I mean, the, it makes sense to me that that could be done. So yeah, you know, when you hear about people being doxxed or, or stuff like that, or, you know, the fact that you could be located based on a picture. Yeah, it turns out um, particularly a live video feed that shows the constellations in the sky at any given time. You may be able to map that, map that back. So, wow. But anyway, uh, what was, so you were, you were inspired by this other game and these are locations that are personal to you. There are places that I love. Um, I don't want to give away anything as far as uh, where they might be located, uh, but there are places I've been, maybe on vacation, maybe to um, eat out, maybe to uh, go to school, but mm. they're, they're all places that I've been before and absolutely love. And I'm already thinking about like making a second version of this with places that I want to go. I think that's fun. And I think now that you know how to do it, mm-hmm. it'll be incredibly easy. The second time, the first time is all of the, you know, the technical aspects of it, which so many of your sort of games and little activities are right. Like there is a really robust, tricky technical aspect to something that comes off as very whimsical and fun. But like, it's the sort of being able to look beneath the surface and understand, oh, this is how that's going on. That's sort of the real magic of it. It's, it's that combined with the personal touch uh, that you bring to it that really makes them special. 
Um, do you have a favorite viz on your portfolio or is it kind of always like the most recent one? Oh gosh, I don't know. I do like to do the Mad Libs every Christmas. Um, and part of that was, I was so happy that I figured out how to do it um, because a lot of it was data prep on the back end. Um, and this was before they had Tableau prep. So I had the, um, I don't even know if many people use it anymore, but I still use it a lot. The Tableau add-in for Excel will, where it will pivot your data. Yeah. I had no idea this is a thing. Yeah. So if you Google Tableau Excel add-in, it still exists. You can still get it. Um, and I don't know what I do without it. I use it for Excel spreadsheets that I'm not even going to import into Tableau and Viz. Um, so it has this wonderful uh, pivot data. And then it has a fill down option, which is so much easier than the where you have to double click a cell in Excel to fill it down. So it doesn't change your numbers. It doesn't, you know, it just fills down exactly from the uh, top all the way to the next occurrence of something different. Anyway, I love the Excel add-in and that's how I learned to pivot the lyric data in Excel to build the Mad Libs. And so that was one of my favorites. And that's why I redo it every year with a different song, just because they make me laugh. And and I, I plan to keep doing it as long as I don't run out of songs. So is Christmas your favorite holiday? Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm saying that as I look at your tableau tree over your right shoulder. So <laughs> you you have a tree with all of your badges and stickers and pins from previous conferences. Um, how do. many conferences have you been to? Four. Oh, that's nice. I've been to three at this point. My Four. first one was Austin in 2016, then Las Vegas, then New Orleans, where I got to present. And that was exciting and stressful and love to do it again. And then 2019. And then I I did go to Tableau-ish. So if that counts, five. Yeah, I guess that counts. Like, I I I know they would like us to count it. So we'll, we'll, we'll round up. I'll say it's a half and we'll round to full conferences. So we'll say that's a one. But mm -hmm. um, so you were in Austin, which was the, con that's the before my first one, but that was the one where Domo came and kind of tried to hijack the entire show. Yeah, they did. That was ridiculous. So like they brought like Snoop Dogg, right? You know, I didn't actually go to any of their events. So I don't know. All I know is that every time I walked out of the conference venue, um, there were people handing me uh, flyers and swag and all that for Domo. And I never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. I don't think anyone has still ever heard of it or knows what it is. I'm, I'm, be <laughs> is it I, I'm being a little here? mean there. I, Does I, it exist? I looked it up not too long ago, so I know it's still a thing, but I think Domo is far enough down the hierarchy, like, you know, past Tableau and Power BI and Click and stuff like that, that it's probably a fairly low player uh, in the game. But I mean, that's where you sort of get that ambition to do nutty stuff like that. And you know, it makes you seem like a higher profile player than you are. So like you spend some money, you know, you get a celebrity, stuff like that. And I mean, that's, that's playing the marketing game. And I think everyone does that to a degree, right? So Tableau had John Legend play virtually last year. So everyone's always trying great. to sort of do what they can to, to get a little, you know, a little splash of, uh, 
I don't know, fame or cred or whatever through, through sort of referred cred through someone else. But I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it's sort of what product, uh, most of us don't get to choose what tool you start with, right? Like whatever your job is, that's what you're working on. Uh, while a lot of people try other tools and might use them for personal stuff or for other things, like so much of it comes down to what your employer has, which, I mean, that's, that's fair, right? Like, I mean, I don't besmirch anyone for using other tools besides Tableau. I mean, I use Tableau and Ultrix in my current job and in my old job, I used Tableau and gosh, what was it? Business objects, which business objects, not super fun. A lot of custom I was, SQL. I was really lucky. Um, I was working at a community college in 2012 and my boss said, I want you to check out this Tableau and tell me if we need to, to buy it, you know, and I loved it. And I said, yes. And then from there, I um, went on to another job at another school and said, you guys don't use Tableau. You're crazy. And so I showed it to my boss and she said, yes, we need that. And then after that, when I was started looking for uh, yet another job. Um, I specifically looked for one where I could use Tableau. That, that's my requirement for a job now. I don't want to use anything else. And so I don't look at other jobs. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like it's particularly simple for me. Yeah. Like once you're skilled in something, like it doesn't make sense to pivot to a different tool where just because you're, you're fluent in data viz and know what looks best and how to do things. I mean, really skilling up in a tool and getting good in it can take a couple of years at least. That's once you already know like the disciplines of, you know, the practice, right? So like mm -hmm. why start over particularly once you're well into your career? Like if you don't have to, like there's plenty of jobs out there where Tableau is going to be your tool of choice. So why change if you don't have to? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And besides, you you can continue to build up that street cred that you have through years of experience with it. And that's only going to help you, you know, advance in your current job and with your next job. So I don't know uh, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I'm not saying stay the path. If there's a tool you're on that you don't like and you're not comfortable with and you're not doing well at. But if there is one that you're great at, there's probably going to be a lot of opportunity there. I have to agree. I'm in a job now where I can use Tableau most of the day. And that's what I wanted. I wanted a job where I was using Tableau all the time and had uh, other coworkers who used it too, who I could turn to for help. Cause I never really had that at the previous two jobs because, you know, we brought it on and I was the main person saying, yeah, we need this. We need this. And I, I so because of that, I was mainly self-taught Plus, you know, what I could find on the web and Tableau has a great series of videos for how to do things in Tableau, but they were also business focused and education's an entirely different, not to say they don't have overlap and you can't apply them, but the way that we count, um, you know, the way we look at time passage, we look at semesters, not quarters and stuff like that. So it, it was complex enough and different enough that it took quite a while for me to learn how to do it and teach myself how to do it. But thank goodness for blogs and how-to videos. And I don't know what I would have done with all without all of that, plus what I learned hands-on at the Tableau conference. That was priceless. So in a higher ed, what kind of metrics are you interested in? Things like retention and acquisition yes. and that sort of thing? 
Yes, so I work mainly with enrollment management um, data right now. So I look at how many students are enrolling on a daily basis. I look at how many students we're retaining from fall to spring, fall to fall. I look at uh, student success data, um, mainly, you know, how are they doing in their courses and um, tutoring services, how how effective are those? Um, are they helping the students? And I do look at surveys, uh, survey data as well for my job. So is there oh, anything that surprised thanks. you about this field as you sort of got into it, you know, and you you spent your career here doing this kind of work? Like, is there anything that like, you know, you look at that you wouldn't have expected or anything maybe that isn't as important that you thought would have been more important? I, I think I was most surprised that Tableau took so long for higher ed to buy into. Hmm. Like, it's been years since I started using Tableau in a higher ed setting, but we're just now in the past few years uh, have a Slack group, and we just in the past few years have, um, you know, what what I feel like is a more focused, dedicated team at Tableau. Um, working with higher education institutions and um, like we're working on getting a Tableau user group set up for higher ed and uh, we have higher ed focused um, webinars and such now that we we just didn't have that five years ago. So yeah, what surprised me most was how long it took people to catch on. Wow. I mean, that's, it's some lag, right? What kind of yeah. tools are they using prior to that? Was it all Excel and, you know, sort of older legacy data tools? A lot of it. Yes. Uh, I did a lot of work in Excel. Um, I mean, when I worked uh, in Qualtrics, they have their own sort of dashboarding um, interface where you can report your survey, your survey data. And um, I mean, when I very first started using Tableau, it was to create the fact book, which up until then was created in Excel and printed off on paper. So. Wow. That's a real leap we've forward. We've come a long from that. way. Yeah. yeah. So I, this has been a lot of fun. I feel like I have learned a lot about both raising chickens as well as higher ed reporting. Um, is there anyone you would like to shout out or anything you'd like to promote before we wrap up today? I would actually. Um, so this is going to drop on April Fool's Day, and shortly after that, maybe the next week, I'll be sending out a registration form for Analytics Day. So Analytics Day is it's an event that Appalachian State puts on every June. Uh, this is the third or fourth one. I can't even remember now. Uh, so it is like a one-day mini-conference for Tableau users in higher education, and um, it is going to be virtual this year again. Maybe next year we'll have an in-person hybrid version. So, um, so we're going to be opening registration for that event. It's on June third, and it will go from probably eight thirty in the morning Eastern time to five o'clock in the evening Eastern time. We'll be uh, sending out a call for proposals. Uh, essentially, anyone who's interested in higher ed and using Tableau in higher ed can be uh, signed up to be a part of it, can present, uh, 
if uh, you're selected. So hopefully we'll have a lot of different proposals come in this year. I'm hoping to run a couple different concurrent sessions, um, maybe one track for how to build it in Tableau, where you get down into the nitty gritty Tableau prep, Tableau uh, dashboards behind the scenes, and then more of a finished product. This is how you can use this data to drive change at your institution and also attract where you can look at um, administrators who use Tableau server and here's what you need to know about permissioning and, and all that stuff. So something for everyone, all with a uh, higher ed focus. So that's gonna be coming out shortly after this. That's awesome. Everyone be on the lookout for the analytics day announcement coming soon. And uh, make sure to attend virtually uh, in June with Appalachian State University. Well, Jenny, thank you for coming on today. Uh, this has been fun. I think everyone's going to have a good time getting a bonus episode with someone who just brings uh, such light and joy to their work uh, in the middle of their work week this week. Um, so thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, You're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, Thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash d-a-t-a-p-l-u-s-l-o-v-e. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks for your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you can get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.